Yes? Oh, working. So before I start, I'm going to pray. Yeah, Father, thank you for your presence here this morning. Thank you that you go with us every second of every minute of every day of our lives, that you never leave us, you never forsake us. Father, I pray that in this talk today, that you would just tailor it to each person here. You'd highlight what they need to hear in their hearts. I thank you for the freedom that you bring. I thank you for your great love for us. Would you continue to speak to us this morning? as we look at some of the things that you've given us to enable us to walk further and further and closer and closer with you and more into your freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. So, good morning. Um, nearly a year ago, Andrew did a series on cleaning house and it was winning spiritual battles. And in the last talk of that series, he spoke on building a spiritual refuge you can still get those talks on SoundCloud, by the way. They're somewhere near the bottom now, but they're still on there. And I'd recommend that you, anyone who didn't listen to them just go and have a listen, because they're excellent. Now, this talk was supposed to be the final one in the series, but we were snowed off. <laughs> so it's better late than never. But I hadn't really felt up until now to bring it. Um, but I felt very strongly this time that this is something that we need to hear for this time. So in his talk, Andrew talked about cleaning out the temple. And he explained that now our bodies are the temple, not some kind of brick edifice. Um, and I'm going to go one step further. And I'm going to talk about a couple of internal spiritual things that can hinder us and cause us to miss Father's complete blessing in our lives, in our relational lives, in our emotional lives, and in our spiritual lives. So I'm going to talk this morning about bitter root judgments and inner vows. I know this Quite, might sound quite heavy, but sometimes the things we don't know affect us more than the things we do know. And in Hosea, it says that we perish through lack of knowledge. So I think it's important that we're aware of some of the spiritual things that can hinder us in our world. Now, the good news is, because there is always good news, that God has made provision for our complete freedom at the cross. And all we need to do is fall in line with his way of doing things by using the weapons that he has given us which include forgiving, blessing, and releasing. With these weapons, we can destroy the plans of the enemy over our lives. This isn't like a bad news talk, people. This is good news. But there's some you know, bits in there that need saying. Now, we know that God's way of doing things has always run counter to society's idea of victory. Um, Jesus' convict's death on the cross, instead of raising up a glorious army to overcome the Romans and to free the Jewish people through war, which is what they're expecting. When we take the low road, when we take the humble road, God always gives us the grace to have victory in our lives and the lives of those around us. So first we'll look at bitter root judgments on slide two. Hebrews 12 says, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Now we know in nature that roots support the plant and they provide the water and the nutrients that the plant needs to grow and in a similar way, we have roots, roots that go down and allow us to draw nurture from God, from others and from ourselves. Now these roots begin to grow from a very early age. By the time we're three to five, they're pretty well developed, as people who work in child development can tell you. And from these roots grow the trunk and the branches and the leaves of who we are and how we respond to life. And the roots are affected by our environment as we grow up. If our environment is filled with lots of love and nurture and gentle touches, 
and tender looks, we'll be able to draw good things into our life through these roots. And we'll produce good fruits as we grow. However, if we're exposed to difficulties during our childhood, if our environment was unsafe, if it was filled with anger or strife or neglect or abandonment, our roots will draw bad things from this soil and will produce bitter fruits in our lives. Does that make sense? Nod at me if it makes sense. Thank you. So just take a look at this very short video. Babies this young are extremely responsive to the emotions and the reactivity and the social interaction that they get from the world around them. This is something that we started studying oh, 30, 40 years ago when people didn't think that infants could engage in social interaction. In this still phase experiment, what the mother did was she sits down and she's playing with her baby who's about a year of age. I'm like a girl. Oh. And she gives a greeting to the baby. The baby gives a greeting back to her. This baby starts pointing at different places in the world and the mother's trying to engage her and play with her. They're working to coordinate their emotions and their intentions, what they want to do in the world. And that's really what the baby is used to. And then we ask the mother to not respond to the baby. The baby very quickly picks up on this. And then she uses all of her abilities to try and get the mother back. She smiles at the mother. She points because she's used to the mother looking where she points. The baby puts both hands up in front of her and says, what's happening here? She makes that screechy sound at the mother, like, come on, why aren't we doing this? Even in this two minutes when they don't get the normal reaction, they react with negative emotions, they turn away, they feel the stress of it, they actually may lose control of their posture because of the stress that they're experiencing. Okay. It's a little like the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good is that normal stuff that goes on, that we all do with our kids. The bad is when something bad happens, but the infant can overcome it. After all, when you stop the still face, the mother and the baby start to play again. The ugly is when you don't give the child any chance to get back to the good there's no reparation, and they're stuck in that really ugly situation. Apart from the baby torture during that video, I think it just shows a really, really, really good... Um, it just gives a good understanding of how, as children, we, we are affected by the stuff that goes on around us. So let's just imagine, what might that baby believe about her mother and about herself, just based on that clip? You know, the baby won't have the words for it, but it'll be, oh, she's mean, or she's ignoring me, she doesn't love me, I'm not lovable. I'm always going to be this sad. 
So luckily, this baby was able to reconnect, thank God, with the smiling face of her mother. And that love actually washes away that any form of wound that might have tried to get in there. But unfortunately, that isn't usually the case in real life. And in essence, bitter roots are sinful reactions to life's hurts. Our judgments against others. And when we're hurt, either physically or emotionally, we make a judgment on whoever's hurt us because we're in pain. As we saw from the video, probably the first people we judge are our parents or our caregivers. This may happen very early in our life, and obviously we're not cognitively aware of it, which is why it's really important that we speak to Holy Spirit about these things. Now, God never condones the actions of others when they hurt us. It's not about that. But he knows that holding judgments and bitterness is actually bad for us. It's unhealthy for us. And those who hurt us are responsible. They are responsible for the hurt, but we are responsible for how we reacted and how we responded to the pain. And once we understand what Jesus has done and how he's forgiven us, we have a responsibility now to pay that forgiveness forwards. When we judge our parents, we also dishonor them. We put the law of dishonoring parents into action, which is in Deuteronomy 5.16. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so you may live long and it may go well with you in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. What a great blessing. That's amazing. We'll live long and things will go well for us. Now, obviously, we don't remember the stuff that happened to us when we were babies and young children, which is why, as I said, it's really important to allow God, through the Holy Spirit, to search our hearts and reveal stuff to us. And that makes it clear in Psalm 4, where he talks about searching us and knowing our hearts, testing us and knowing our anxious thoughts, seeing if there's any offensive or unclean way in us and leading us in the way everlasting. Now, one of the great things about the Emmanuel prayer ministry that we're involved in, and Karen and Aileen, Haley, Andrew, whoever, you know, there are people here you can talk to about that, is that often during a session, Holy Spirit will take people to a place where memories need healing. Often our perceptions of what happened when, when a trauma or even kind of a, a, a hurt happened are skewed. And Holy Spirit will bring the truth into that situation. And whatever lies we're believing, whatever wounds we have, whatever has gone wrong in that situation, um, Jesus will bring the truth, show us the truth, and he'll lead us into healing. Jesus said that he has given us everything we need for a life of godliness. And our brains, when they're too undeveloped emotionally to understand stuff and to process pain without the help of loving caregivers. Now, God has made a pathway for us to process pain properly. We're just looking at the first one, which is the attachment level here, because we're talking about stuff that happens when we're young. There's this pathway that God's given us that we can actually move through a difficult situation and come out the end with wisdom, knowledge, empathy, skills, and maturity. God has put that in place. Let's give an example. So little Johnny falls off his bike. He's dented his wheel. He's hurt his knee. He goes running into mum and dad. Dad takes a look at him, shouts at him for bleeding over the carpet, takes him outside, shouts at him for denting his bike. What has young Johnny learned about that situation? How does he feel towards his dad? What judgments might he have made of his dad? So scenario two, Johnny falls off his bike, he dents his wheel, he's got blood all over his leg, his dad sees, he runs out, he scoops him up, takes him in, 
Mum gently dabs the wound and talks sweetly to him, and then Johnny and his dad go out and try and fix the bike together. What a difference. How does Johnny feel now? In the second scenario, Johnny is able to process the painful event with help from his dad. So during Emmanuel sessions, we've all seen Jesus heal these childhood wounds again and again and again. He brings his loving touch into these painful areas. Because most of us do want to honor our parents, we may cover up the hurts and therefore be unaware of the subtle judgments that we've made against them. Here's an example from my life. So when I was born, my mum was in a bit of a state, I've put in brackets to put it mildly, because some of the experiences that she'd had as a child, she really struggled with anyone touching her, especially intimately. So you can imagine what childbirth must have been like for her. Now she retreated into what I now know is a disassociative state, and she thought she was at the dentist. Apparently, when she was giving birth to me, she shouted at the doctor, what are you doing down that end? Which must have been a bit of a shock for him, as well as for her. And she used to joke about it, and she used to tell us that, you know, as if it was funny, but can you imagine the trauma that would cause her to just, you know, go into that place of believing she was at the dentist? So when they tried to hand her to me after I was born, she wouldn't take me. She just was completely focused on her pain, she rejected the baby they were trying to give her. And in those days, dads weren't allowed in the delivery room. So I was left with no one to welcome me. Just the picture God gave me is that I was sort of hanging as the doctors held me up like this. I know that's not how they did, but that's how I felt, just hanging. And um, that my belief is that we're actually with God in heavenly places before we're born, okay? Um, and so I was born expecting to be loved, to be welcomed. Even in my tiny state, my spirit was expecting to, it, that it would be like being in heavenly places. But unfortunately, the opposite happened. I was rejected and made to feel unwelcome. And we saw from the video what happens to us as babies affects us emotionally. And our spirits aren't tiny babies when we're born. No, they, they don't, they're, they're fully fledged, fully functioning spirits. It's like when John the Baptist leapt in his mum's womb when she met Mary, who was pregnant with Jesus. His spirit recognized Jesus. So back to my birth. When I didn't get the welcome that I was expecting, baby Ellie made a judgment against mum. A judgment for rejecting her, or me, which actually caused a rift between us that lasted many, many years. And it also affected my relationship with my own daughter, but more on that a bit later. So how do bitter root judgments affect our lives? Slide six. When we judge others, we set in motion a spiritual law that demands a response. The way we judge others is the way that we'll be judged. Unfortunately, the judgment we receive is often much greater than the one we sowed because of the law of sowing and reaping an increase. It's not God judging us, it's the law. And when we judge another for wrong done to us, we're demanding payment for those wrongs. And we can't expect mercy for ourselves and judgment for others who've hurt us. Let me go back to my example of judging my mum for rejecting me at birth. So step one, I was rejected by mum. Step two, baby Ellie judges mum for rejection. Step three, a bitter root grows. Step four, I received rejection and I sowed bitterness and unforgiveness. And step five, the law says that as I sow, I reap. Therefore, the spiritual law in action says, because I judged my mum for rejection, I will continue to reap that rejection. 
And my story is that my mum could never hug me. She could never allow me to hug her. And sometimes she couldn't even look at me when I was in the room. And her idea of punishment or discipline was to ignore me totally. And sometimes that went on for days. It was like I wore a sign on my forehead that said, reject me. Another reaping of what I sowed is that when our first daughter was born, <laughs> I did exactly the same thing as my mum. I seem to have lost page seven. So I refused to take her from the midwife. Now, my reasons were totally different, but that's irrelevant. It was classic. It was done to me, so I'm going to pass that on. And I wasn't a follower of Jesus then, so I had no idea what spiritual laws were at work. And after I came to know Jesus, God showed me. He began to teach me and reveal me some of these spiritual laws. And I felt hugely condemned and hugely guilty because I knew what I'd done to my baby. But God is incredibly kind. And he reminded me that when Ashley was born, I wouldn't take her. I was just exhausted after one and a half days and two and a half tanks of gas and air. I was probably completely spaced out. But he, God reminded me that um, the midwife handed Ashley to Nigel. And he said to me that when Nigel gazed into Ashley's eyes and Ashley gazed into Nigel's eyes, she received all the love and the care and the welcome that she needed from her dad, which was just beautiful and a huge relief to me. God is really kind. And it's interesting because the first three years of her life, she was daddy's girl. Everything was, daddy do it, daddy do it. And we still joke about that now. For her second Christmas, I was really excited about opening all the presents with her and we got all the presents and I'm like, Ashley, shall we open this one? Daddy do it, daddy do it. Now that really hurt me at the time. I was just sowing what I'd reaped. So I believe that only Jesus can heal these attachment wounds. And as part of my healing, he gave me this verse from Ezekiel 16. On the day you were born, no one cared about you. Your umbilical cord wasn't cut, you were never washed, rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloth. No one had the slightest interest in you. No one pitied you or cared for you. On the day you were born, you were unwanted. And then God does exaggerate a bit because he put dumped in a field and left to die. <laughs> Thank God I wasn't, but some children are, as we know. But I came by and saw you there, helplessly kicking about in your own blood. And as you lay there, I said, live. And I helped you to thrive like a plant in the field. And when I passed by again, I saw that you were old enough for love. So I wrapped my cloak around you and you became mine. Isn't that just beautiful for a damaged baby? It took time, but God took the wounds of rejection and he healed them and he claimed me for himself. Now, I was desperate to be a good mum and even my prayers back then were judgments. God, please make me a better mum than my mum. It was one of my favourites. Um, it wasn't until after I fully released and forgiven my mum I was able to realise that that prayer was a judgment. And then my prayer became, God, make me the mum that my kids need me to be. And that's a lot cleaner. Prefer that one. So whilst the spiritual law of sowing and reaping um, was meant to be a blessing, i.e. as we sow good seed, we get back loads, you know, and that's, uh, we see that in our giving. Due to the fall, there are now negative consequences as we sow bad seed. And the law that that's set in motion when we judge others is found in Romans 2. You, therefore... Have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. When we judge, we doom ourselves to do the same things. 
Our judgment of others allows it to take root in us, and eventually it will result in the same behavior, either in ourselves or in others around us. So in a nutshell, what we honor in our parents will go well with us, what we judge in our parents will not go well with us. We will receive harm in the same areas that we judge others in, and we'll reap what we sow. Thankfully, I did say there was good news. I'm sorry it's been so heavy in the middle, but Jesus made a way to free us from all the judgments and curses and bitter roots that can affect us. When we let him search our hearts and show us areas where we need to release forgiveness, the enemy has no more grounds to attack us. Bitterness becomes empathy and compassion, and supernatural love of God can cover and heal the wounds. So how do we know? How do we know if there's any bitter roots operating in our lives? And there's a saying, if you've got the fruit, you've got the root. And my story illustrates that it wasn't until I said sorry to God for my bitterness and my judgments and released forgiveness to my mum that I was able to give and receive love properly. Prior to that, I expected rejection and I passed rejection onto my children. If we take an honest look at our lives with Holy Spirit, he will reveal areas where we are living under the influence of a bitter root judgment or anything else, for example. Is there a negative pattern that keeps repeating in your life? Do we seem to be reaping a lot of negative things for no apparent reason? Do we struggle to give and to receive love in a healthy way? These can be clues to a bitter root. So how do we get free? Now there are steps, and I do have them here, but I realize that sometimes, i.e. often, being released from these deep emotional wounds and these long-standing hurts is not easy. It's not as easy as following a few steps. Many of us have had deeply painful experiences and we need the healing touch of Holy Spirit to even dare to consider going to those places. The steps I'm about to give you are ones we need to take, but it may be that some work needs to be done with Jesus before you can get there. If you're feeling kind of stirred up and you feel this is an issue that might be for you, don't leave, out of hi- leave here feeling kind of upset and wound up. Speak to somebody after the meeting. I'll wait up here for a while and you know, just come and, or somebody next to you or whoever. It doesn't have to be me, absolutely. So we're all at different journeys and different stages, both good and bad. We've all had experiences in our lives. But for those who want to know, here are the steps. So we recognize that a bitter root judgment is at work either through the fruit we weep or the we reap or Holy Spirit revealing it. We confess and we say sorry for making the judgments and for dishonoring our parents. We release forgiveness and we, to whoever's hurt us. And be specific. Be specific when you speak to God about what's, what's the hurts that you have and what was done. And speak a blessing over the person. We renounce and cut off the effects in Jesus' name in us and in our family line. I was able to, when I was free, to pray that over Ashley when she was small and cut that off from her. And she didn't reject my granddaughter when she was born, praise God. So then be filled with the Holy Spirit and his cleansing. We now expect good fruit to appear in our lives. God's been waiting to pour out his blessing and favor upon us in these areas where we have been bound. What's been a weakness in the past will now become a strength and we'll reap an increased amount of good in the areas where we've been reaping bad. That's God's economy. So the other thing I briefly want to talk about today are inner vows. Now, inner vows are another bitter root that can arise from judging others. An inner vow is a negative creative force that we make, again, usually as children, but it doesn't have to be, in response to pain caused by a person or a situation. 
An example of this was a real ministry situation. Um, there was a little girl who was constantly and cruelly uh, taunted by her brother. He would embarrass her and physically hurt her. And one day out of her frustration, she just vowed that she would never have a baby boy. I will not have a baby boy when I grow up. And after marriage, she had two girls, but she miscarried, unfortunately, three boys. The Holy Spirit brought back the incident to her mind in prayer, and, um, and he showed her that she had made this vow. And she broke the vow, and she forgave her brother, and she went on to have a baby boy. So we can see the pattern. And unfortunately, our enemy is a legalist, and he is a swine. He knows the spiritual laws far better than we do. Even though Jesus did everything on the cross to gain our freedom, we need to be aware of the spiritual laws, positive and negative, that affect us. An inner vow is a self-made promise a person makes to themselves, usually during or after a traumatic experience or a situation where we're hurt by someone. And you'll hear them because they usually start with, I will always or I will never. So I'll never trust anyone. I'll never be poor. I'll never be weak. I'll never let anyone control me. Or, I'll always look after myself. I'll always be strong. I'll always be in control. Even positive inner vows are negative because they're motivated by bitterness and self-protection. And actually, they end up putting walls in our lives, walls between us and God and walls between us and other people. They prevent us operating properly in the situations that we face. They're flesh-empowered. They're not spirit-empowered. And inner vows can be the same as word curses. My family are sick to death of me correcting them when they say things like, my back's killing me. No, it's not. It's hurting. Oh, God, mum, shut up. But, and it happens all the time. I'm clumsy. I'm stupid. I'm mad. You know, you hear people cursing themselves with words the whole time. And although I'm aware of it, I still get caught out. Last year when I had a, a period of low mood, I found myself saying things like, oh, I'm a fruit bat. Oh, I'm a fruit loop because of some of the battles I was having in my own mind. So an inner vow is a creative force that will affect us until it's broken at the cross. We don't grow out of them, and we don't, as we mature, and we don't change, we don't have a change of heart, we can't change our mind in that sense. Our mind may forget about the vow, but it eventually manifests itself in our lives and in our physical body. But I want to stress that looking at these things prayerfully, it's not the same as digging around inside our heads in a sort of introspective way. Our souls aren't some dark room that we need to ferret about in and strain to see in order to fix ourselves. Introspection doesn't bring freedom. It's simply asking God to open the doors and to shine the light into those areas in that room so we can clean our inner house. We acknowledge these things in order to break the power over our lives. The thing about inner vows is they can lay dormant for years. So if you haven't heard, and this, none of this is relevant to you, just keep it in mind. Some time in the future, you may think, oh, is that something working there? They're only activated when the right situation arises, like the lady who kept miscarrying baby boys. They lodge in the heart and can only be removed by Holy Spirit. They strongly resist change, and they work in tandem with bitter roots, hidden resentment, and fear. And another example is if a boy has seen his dad, um, seen his father dominated by his mum, and he vows he'll never be emotionally vulnerable to a woman. You can see how that might affect a marriage. 
He may even become dominating and controlling himself in an unconscious effort to avoid feeling dominated, a flesh-inspired rising up. And every time his, his wife disagrees with him, he'll see it as domination and react accordingly. That's incredibly unhealthy in a marriage. And also fears may be rooted in inner vows. Some after an embar embarrassment is quite a big one, but after an embarrassing or scary event, we vow never to take risks beyond our control. Oh, I'm never doing that again. I'm never going to fly. I'm never going to speak in public. I'm never going to fly on an airplane. I'm never going to learn to drive. When I was little, my, um, I'm not sure if it was my mum or my dad, but I can remember I, was, I used to be, I just used to love singing. And I just used to sing, sing, sing. And my kids even now say, Mum, you've got a song for everything. But I just used to love singing. And I can remember... I can't remember the specific incident, but I'm aware of a time when somebody, one of my parents, said something about my singing, like, shut up, or you sound like a frog, or something, something. And, it, and for years then, that kind of shoved, I shoved that down. When I became a Christian, I had a real, in my other church, I had a real desire, love worship, love worshipping. At home, you know, the neighbours can probably hear me singing, not like a frog, because I'm healed. But... Um, I was asked to be on the worship team and probably because they'd seen me worshipping and thought, oh, you know, she obviously, she's up for it. So um, I went into an absolute spiral, complete spiral of icing like a frog. I couldn't possibly. So I spoke, talked it over with my husband, with Nigel, and he prayed for me and I agreed to do it. And it was the big, one of the biggest steps of faith. That may sound silly to anyone who, like, loves worshipping and hasn't got a problem in this area. It was like they'd asked me to scale a mountain. I was terrified. And the first time I was up there, I vomited before I went on. I was, I was so, so scared. And, um, but I did it, and it was okay. And, and just doing it broke something. And when I was at um, home group one evening, God gave me a song to sing in tongues and in a small group with about six people and that's terrifying enough and he asked me to sing out and I knew I knew I had to and I knew if I didn't I would not move into the healing and the freedom that I wanted to move into but I couldn't do it so I took the pastor into the corner and I whispered I said God's given me a song and she said well sing it I'm like can I just sing it to you and I did and she said you've got a really nice voice and I went no I haven't she said you have. She said, when you said, you know, came into the corner and said, can I whisper it just to you? She said, I thought you'd have a horrible voice. I said, all I have. And she sort of went, hmm? And then uh, through that process, God said to me, showed me, let's go back. <laughs> let's go back. Where did that thought come that you've got a horrible voice? Broke it and that's, you know, that was fine. And in, in the end, I was leading worship a cappello in our, a cappella, a cappello, whatever it is, with a pillow in our home group. Um, and we used to be known as the barber shop because no one could play an instrument. So uh, someone said, God says there's a barber shop pole outside your home group, which was lovely. But that's freedom. I had a lie. I'd, I'd been, had a difficult situation with a parent, I think. And I had judged them and I'd believed the, tr the lie that had got in there. So I don't know if, there may be some people here who don't know about our Finding Freedom uh, event that we hold at least once a year. It's time that we set aside for God. And basically, we just ask God to reveal anything in our lives that hinder us, things that are holding us back. We cover things like forgiveness, um, soul ties, ungodly beliefs, strongholds, rejection, and all other lovely stuff. There are a few cards at the back. You can book on Church Suite, or you can book through the website. 
It's a great day and most people who leave feel like they've had a lovely, refreshing shower. It doesn't matter if you're new to following Jesus or if you've known him for decades. I look at it like an MOT. So it's a regular spiritual checkup, which um, helps to keep us running properly and just deals with any hidden issues that might cause us to break down, figuratively speaking. So in conclusion, 2 Peter 1.3 says, he gives us everything. He gives us everything that we need for life and holy living. He gives it through his great power. As we come to know him better, we learn that he called us to share in his own shining greatness. I love that, and perfect life. I think the key here is as we come to know him better, as we spend time with him, letting him talk to us about the things in our life that hinder us, we can enter into his righteousness and his perfect life. We've already entered into his righteousness. We just need to do our little bit, know the spiritual laws, go God's way, do things his way, and he has brought us into complete freedom. That sounds good to me. Shall we stand? Do you want to take over? No? Okay, good. No, it's fine. Oh, it wasn't on there. It should have been. Uh, Finding Freedom is the 18th and 19th of January next year. Apparently it's not on there. No, I took that. Oh, no. It's on the, it is on the cards at the back, and it's on the website, and it's on Church Suite. So if you'd like to, should we stand? Don't have to. Thank you, Father. Yeah, Father, I don't want anyone to go out of this room feeling heavy, feeling condemned, feeling bored, (laughs) feeling what was that all about. So Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, would you fill our hearts with your joy, your love, your peace, your patience, your perfect goodness. Let's see your beauty. I had a sense during worship, I just saw this massive pair of white wings and they were just flapping, a bit like a, if you've seen a swan with its wings out, just gently flapping and just felt the gentle breeze of Holy Spirit as he blew over us. Holy Spirit, we love you. We thank you for your presence. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray that you would just gently guide each of us in any area where we need to fall more in line with you. Give us the tools, give us the wisdom, give us the anointing, give us the faith, the hope. I just pray that not one of us would go out of here without some sense of your presence going with us and hope in your freedom and your life, your abundant life. Thank you, Father. Once again, just receive as much of God as you can. He's here to bless, he's here to bring freedom. In 1 John 3 verse 1 it says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called his children and that's what we are so enjoy that 
Let him come and fill you with his love again. Let him refresh you. He's given us some wonderful tools to help us to be free. But our identity is that we are God's children. It's not that we're sinners. We used to be. But now we are God's children. We are forgiven. We're set free. And so we embrace that. And these tools just help us to get rid of some of the rubbish that's built up.